Ms. Saints. It's always good to be in the church of God, but sometimes feel better than others. So we just pray sometimes, you know, there's faithful people that are here. When they're not here, it almost don't feel like it's a real service. But we're going to keep on carrying on. And I want to just build on a little bit what we heard this morning in 1 John 4. And I'll read the passage that we had this morning. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God, listen to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. For this we know, by this we know, the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Important. Dad did a powerful job this morning bringing that out. It just made me think of some other passages that kind of discuss some similar things. And it says this in 1 Corinthians 12. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray by mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the spirit of God ever said Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? What does that mean? Well, to me, it amplifies a little bit what we heard this morning um, from 1 John 4. When we talk about 1 John 4, what you see is a passage that is confronting false preaching, false teaching. A lot of people come in and they will tell you that the Holy Spirit said X. And we sometimes will have a difficulty challenging them. This morning I heard somebody say that. On my way to Sunday school, I came in, and lo and behold, here was somebody sitting outside of the Sunday school. And I asked them, what you doing out here? Oh, I'm just reading the Bible. Well, why don't you join the Sunday school? Oh, no, the Holy Spirit told me to read the word here. Did the Holy Spirit tell him that? <laughs> let me ask you, let me, and let me just, let's just be real clear. Did the Holy Spirit tell him that? He's a liar. Now, a lot of people believe that the Holy Spirit told them things. And people will convince themselves something. Now, why do they believe the Holy Spirit told them something? Sometimes they're just straight up liars. But other times, I believe that they mistake their passions for what the Holy Spirit has said because they've never really met him before or they don't have good discernment or they've never really had a clear understanding of what doctrine is. So they will say the Holy Spirit said things that he did not say. And the thing that, how I knew it was an immediate lie was because the Holy Spirit has guided the leaders in this church here 
to set our order for our service. And when it's Sunday school time, we all go in here to Sunday school because we expect that God is going to teach us through the Sunday school hour. If somebody want to read the Bible themselves, they could read it at home anytime. But he was convinced that he told me. The Holy Spirit told him. And I called him out on that. He didn't like that. He left. No loss. Because when you lie about the Holy Spirit, it's not a slight thing that you're lying about. It reminds me of this passage here when it says, Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. One of the biggest things that we have to do is we have to teach our people, and our people must understand the doctrines of Christ because it is there that the attack always begins. Right? Doesn't matter where it is. We have to understand that Jesus is 100% God and 100% man. That he had to be those things. And it was striking me when my dad was preaching this morning, why must he be God? And we often say he had to be man to down the cross for our sins, but you know he had to be God to down the cross for our sins too? Because he would not have been able to truthfully say it is finished unless he had the capability to bear all the wrath of God. And no man... Even if Adam had been perfect, he alone could not have bore the wrath of God. But Jesus, and this is again where we confront that false doctrine. Some people believe that Jesus went to hell after he died. And the reason that this is not the case, why he didn't have to go to hell, is because when he was on the cross, he paid for everything. He didn't have to do any additional work. That's why we disagree with some of our Catholic brothers. And some of them, I believe, are truly saved. But they will say that every mass that Jesus in some way is being sacrificed again. He doesn't have to be sacrificed again. Because he died once for all and paid for our sins. Jesus is Lord. What does that mean? That's not just a phrase, right? Now I know a lot of people will say things, and you know, I'm one with I'm with you. If I hear a song and they don't say Jesus, I am a little bit bothered by that if it calls itself a Christian song. I believe a song does need to say precisely Jesus. Lots of people say they believe in God, and that's not precise enough for me. So I do want to hear Jesus. But on the other hand, I do hear a lot of people saying things, the name Jesus, and it doesn't seem like it means much. Unless it's connected in some way to doctrine. It could just become an empty phrase. Sometimes we do that in our own prayers, right? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. But did we really mean in Jesus' name? Or is it just habit that we say it? In Jesus' name. It reminds me of, again, another passage. If you turn with me to Second Peter. Because I think that John, when he was confronting this, we talk about people having spirits and testing them. People will say that they have some Holy Spirit or they have God speaking through them. And you got to test that, right? Nothing is more dangerous than a person that somebody believes is saying the word of God when they aren't. It says in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1, false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, 
who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them and bringing upon themselves swift destruction. False teachers will rise. What will they do? They'll deny the master. Now, how will they deny the master? Well, the scripture doesn't specify that because there's many ways you could deny the master, right? There are some people who just don't preach a message of judgment. I believe Joel Osteen is one of those types. If you don't preach a message of judgment, why did Jesus even come to save us? So to me, that undermines the master. Other people want to preach that Jesus was just a man. That undermines the master. There are false religions like Islam, like those who believe in the Book of Mormon, like Jehovah Witnesses, etc., right? Many of those will have some kind of doctrine that go against Jesus. But in other ways, you can go to certain churches and people will deny Jesus in other ways. They don't think that you have to obey Jesus. I'll put it to you like this. They'll say you can keep sinning because Jesus is going to forgive you. Now, what does that thought lead to? What it means really is Jesus is a sap because you can serve Jesus and not actually have to do anything about it. Jesus doesn't have the ability to command you. And what comes from that is that the thought is this, that Jesus can't tell me to do something I don't want to do. So what are they doing? They're denying the master, right? If Jesus is our master, we must be able to do things that we don't want to do. In fact, isn't that what it means to be a master? Sometimes you have to tell people to do things that they don't want to do, and they listen. It says in verse 2, And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed. What does the sensuality mean? Me and my dad were discussing this this morning. The sensuality is, again, that thought that your feelings determine what God said. You ever met somebody who just convinced the Holy Spirit told them to do something, and you know it's wrong? That person has fallen into sensuality, right? They believe that what they sense and what they feel is the Holy Spirit when it's not. And that's where it's really destructive because... Sometimes it's hard to teach people what did the Holy Spirit say, right? Because we're led by the Holy Spirit in many ways that in some ways seem subtle. You ever had a sermon that seems aimed at you? But you could easily dodge it, right? Because, you know, if I hear a sermon aimed at me, it's not like Heidi knows it was aimed at me. That's my own wife. She may not even know it was aimed at me, right? So I could pretend and slide past it if I want to. But that's subtle, and it's hard to sometimes tell people that that's how it works. And some people will not even have had that experience but pretend they had it. They kind of remind me of like when um, I was younger and all these guys would be talking about all these girls they had, and then somebody would describe something that you'd be like, "That's that's not realistic. I don't think this guy's ever been with a girl. And it kind of reminds us like that. That's why we have to have that fellowship. We talk to each other. (laughs) Sometimes somebody will say something. You'd be like, I don't think that was the Holy Spirit. (laughs) That don't sound like my experience. But let's talk about that real quick and open it up to you. 
what are various ways that the Holy Spirit talks to you? Now, let's just put the, the obvious ones out there so we don't have to use those ones. The Word of God itself, preached, taught, read. What other ways does God speak to us? Andy? Fellow believers? Worship? Situations? Situations? What do you mean, like, it's a good situation, it, it, maybe this goes with what Brother Cliff is saying, and if it's not, you let me know. But you apply to two jobs, and both of them give you an offer, and you don't know which one to choose, and all of a sudden the one takes back the offer. You say, okay, I guess it's got to be B. Situations. What else? Trials. Okay, that's a situation. Here's the thing. I believe that the Holy Spirit is always teaching us things, and it goes in a certain order. You have to think of it in a certain order. The Scripture teaches us this. The first thing that we have to do is what we know is for sure God's Word, which is this. First step. Does it fit in this? The second thing is, what is God teaching us? And, and sometimes... It's amazing to me the things that people believe. And I've even heard in our own church people who I've challenged and they say the Holy Spirit is teaching me this. Look at the arc of your life. Imagine your life as a story. What lesson has God been trying to teach you for a long time? Does anything pop to mind when I say that? Now I got some and you got some. So let's just say it for me Let's say it's uh, being, uh, being nicer to people, okay? There's not going to be a big, strong message from the Holy Spirit telling me to be meaner to people, okay? But why would I feel that the Holy Spirit was telling me to be meaner to people? I will, often I will hear people say that. Literally, I will hear people say that their weakness is what the Holy Spirit is telling them to do. Why? I'm going to tell you, it's because it's easy to do. And it's what they want to do already. Imagine that you are a person who is lazy. The Holy Spirit might be telling you to take a break. Ignore the fact that all your life he's been challenging you to work harder. He specifically came to you and told you to take a break. Let me... When you feel something like that, you need to confront that thought and wonder whether that's really from God or not. Because most likely it's not. It's like somebody that's lustful being guided that they need to start a women's in ministry. Right? I don't think God is leading that for you, brother. I just don't. And I think we just got to be honest with ourselves with that, right? What is God guiding me? towards our sensuality can get in the way what do we feel what do we want what are our dark desires 
one of the most Christian things you can do in your meditation is admit the things that you want that you shouldn't. I think sometimes we will pretend to ourselves that we are not tempted by things that we really are. And in doing so, I truly believe that we start to turn a blind eye to things and they grow because they're not dealt with. If you pretend that you don't have to deal with an issue, guess what? It's not going to not be dealt with. Just like if you pretend, eh, that corner of the room is okay. Guess what? It's going to become a cobweb later. Because you didn't deal with that. If we pretend that we don't have to deal with the issues that the Holy Spirit brings to our attention, they will only get worse. Now, many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. How is the way of truth blasphemed? Well, one was this morning, as I heard somebody just straight up just say, that God said something that I know he didn't say. Where did the Spirit of God go from me to you and say two different things? You're lying on God. Now, right when I heard what the man said, the Holy Spirit was angry, and it was almost like he was saying, these guys lying and saying I'm saying something I did not say. He was not pleased. You know, I'm not making that up. Because there's been many experiences I've had where the Holy Spirit didn't say it. No. And sometimes he said that to me. Nope. Nope. What you said? Nope. What that person said? No. I'm not with that. But the way of truth gets blasphemed a lot of times because a false believer will put on the mantle of a believer, rise into a high position, and then do something extremely egregious. A pastor who is sleeping with multiple members in the church, somebody who molests children and is a priest. These things start to become something where people try to say that that characterizes the whole church. Ignore the fact that the schools have a way worse problem with that. Ignore the fact that if you look at that era, it seemed like every institution was dealing with that problem, right? You look at the Penn State program in football, it's pretty obvious. Look at Michigan State with the gymnastics, or was it a gymnast, or was it yeah, the gymnast, how long that was going on. I, I think it's pretty obvious that it was the normal practice of back in the past somebody would sexually abuse children and people would sweep it under the rug. It wasn't just the Catholic Church that was doing that. But people going to pretend that it was just the Catholic Church that was doing it. And what that should point us to is this, <laughs> that there's a spiritual war going on. Satan will do anything to put a black eye on the church. I was listening to the radio and they was marveling. They said, man, I can't understand how these... Um, these organizations that are pro-gay, why are they so mad as Christians and they ignore Muslims? Because any, they said, anywhere you look, a Muslim is going to be way worse against gay people than Christians will ever be. And I just thought to myself, you fools. Don't you see they're on the same team? <laughs> Don't trust what people say. Look what they do. It's pretty obvious that somebody that is gay pride should not be marching next to somebody who is for Osama bin Laden, but guess what they often will. And why is that the case? Because they serve the same master. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. 
Now, I think that oftentimes we can look at the greed and rewrite when you look at the money that some of these cross profits make. I mean, you look at some of these guys running around with Cadillacs and this and that. It's a shame. I don't know how they could read the words of Paul and not feel ashamed living like that. You might say, well, they in America, they got a right to make money. Not off the word of God. It's not about being in America. It's about serving our Lord. How do you go to heaven and look at Paul right past God and realize that he literally worked making tents and was an apostle and you got five Cadillacs? How do you do that? How do you say you follow the same vocation as him? How can you say that? You go to a massage parlor and your wife is getting the best stuff and she's got plastic surgery. And then you read a story about how Peter was with his wife and told his wife be faithful to the death while she was crucified. How are you going to say that you're the same? Peter called himself a pastor. I think that's a high stalling to be called a pastor if Peter called himself a pastor. But then we have these guys running around. So yeah, they're greed. They will exploit you with money. But I also think there's other forms of greed. I look at some of these guys, and you could just tell by the way that they speak that their greed is for your approval. Right? Oh, I'm going to do this. Yeah, I got something to say. Like you want to be praised real bad. You want somebody to say yes. I'm inspired by your charisma. And oftentimes they'll say false words. Them condemnation from long ago is not idle. Their destruction is not asleep. So I think it's important when we go through one of the biggest things, and I know we all as Christians are like this. We look at the book of Revelations with me. And in verse uh, chapter 2, It says in verse 2, I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance, how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. We often have to kind of go through that method where we literally, and maybe you like me, anytime I hear somebody say they're a Christian, I already assume they're lying <laughs> from the beginning, and then they have to prove that they're right after that. That's just how it is, because the odds are that they are. We were talking about this in Bible study. You pick a random person out of the city, they're not saved, right? You pick a random 10 people, it's going to be hard to find one saved. The righteous are few. Jesus said this, narrow is the way to salvation and wide is the gate to destruction. Man, it's hard to find a saved sometimes. But I think that's also why we ought to find encouragement in the church. That's why it's important for us to be faithful. I'm always surprised by somebody who said, I was too discouraged to go to church. Where else are you going to get encouragement from? That's like saying, I was too hungry to go to the refrigerator. Because you cut yourself off from what you actually need. That's why we have to encourage our brothers and sisters to be more and more faithful. And I look at our services on Wednesday night and Sunday night, I know we can do better. I look at our service on Sunday school, I know we can do better than that. 
I know I'm talking to the faithful, but I think the faithful have to challenge the unfaithful. It's got to start with us. And oftentimes we say, well, if I challenge somebody, they're going to leave. If they're going to leave because you gave them a godly challenge, let them leave. God is going to reward your faith either way. It's okay if some of the fake people leave. But what we want is the faithful. That's all we want is the faithful. We want people when the Antichrist is knocking on the door of the church and saying, who's going to deny Christ? You can come out and live. And nobody leaves. If you're ready to die with me, then we could be a church. That's what we need to say. Now, the people in this room right now, I know you all ready to die for the Lord. And we need to challenge our believers and grow them either to the point where they can be to that point or let God's word rinse them out so that they can see that they are not of us. Now, the sad thing is they can run to some other church and they can pretend that they're a believer. And that's a sad state of church now in the States, right? We got a lot of churches that will accept anybody and tell them that they're doing okay. But that just, to me, means that we need to grow our doctrine and our reach so that people cannot escape the truth. They can run to another church. I was just surprised how many people came to this funeral from that left the church, didn't feel ashamed to walk in the doors, I feel they should be a little bit ashamed. Because you know what? God is going to ask them when they get into heaven about that. They may, they may be mad that I might ask them. But you know God going to ask the same question. Hey, you know that church was faithful. And they didn't do nothing to you. Why you leave? I think they don't consider the fact that God will ask them where were they faithful. We must consider that question. If you look at the Gospels, <laughs> it's amazing to me the questions that Jesus asked. It's never the polite and comfortable questions. It's amazing to me how quickly, and it seems like it always is the case. Whenever somebody say, Lord, I believe, he always say, do you really? I bet you if you went through all the Gospels, and you went through and you heard people say things that was positive to Jesus, I bet you his next response is something that is negative more, like 90% of the time. And the reason for that is, is we need to not just accept the words of others, but it needs to be tested. John said, test the spirits. We need to test the spirits. We need to test our brothers and sisters. And you know what? We will be tested ourselves. <coughs> Why wait for somebody to get to heaven's door and fail the test there? Take your mock exam now. So when you get to heaven, <laughs> you got the right answers. Amen? So let's do that. We're not being mean by asking somebody or testing somebody. We're doing them a favor if we do it in the right spirit. So that's what I have for tonight. Any comments or questions before we close? Don't all leap up at once. All right. 
All right, well, let's close up in a word of prayer then. Dear Lord, we thank you for allowing us to be able to come into your house and hear your word. We thank you for the word being preached powerfully this morning by my dad, even though he had many other things on his heart, but he still thought it important to preach your word. So I pray, Lord, that you would just give him a double reward for that when he comes before you into your kingdom. And I pray that you would reward us in this church, Lord, who are faithful, Lord, and also reward us by growing this church, Lord, and making this church thrive, Lord. Help us to understand that we must grow and that for us to grow, we got to grow as individuals. We got to get better at doing what we're doing. We got to get more um, proficient at all the different ministries that we're doing. But we also, Lord, we have to grow as just adding individuals in these seats. We should be full on Sunday morning. We should be somewhat full on Sunday nights and Wednesday nights. We never are going to get the same numbers on Wednesday nights and Sunday and, and Sunday nights as we will on Sunday morning. But we need to be getting more than we getting, Lord. We need to have Sunday schools that are full of people that want to ask questions because they want to ask these questions, but they just don't come to the right service to do it. So help us to add those people. In your name we pray. Amen.